Welcome to the Fearless Vampire Podcast. I'm on a heartfelt mission through the art of conversation and storytelling to inspire women to pursue their creative entrepreneurial journey with reckless abandon. I'm your host, Taylor, a six-figure photographer and business coach based in Colorado. I'm a right brain mompreneur to two toddler boys, devoted deep conversation holder, and your personal alpaca cuddle liaison. My hope is that you leave our time together feeling empowered and energized to build your dream life. Learn more at fearlessvampire.com. People think that ceremony is only something you can have during a wedding. This is true to an extent, but more and more our world is learning the importance of celebrating all of life's milestones and even those moments that would traditionally go unnoticed or even overlooked. Today, I'm really excited to introduce to you one of my best friends who has wholly changed my life in so many ways. Heather and I first met when I was six weeks pregnant with Dawson through our local wedding vendor community. I was hosting a meeting for our association and she was the first person that I actually told that I was pregnant and I was probably very likely going to throw up in the middle of the meeting. It it was at that point that Heather ran and got me a chair. She made me a cup of tea and I was like, ooh, this person has some depth and I also know we're going to be really good friends. And that kind of sent us off in the trajectory of our local friendship. I remember you telling me we were both kind of in this space of looking for a new local best friend. Um, I think we had been here. Yeah, I think we had been here. I see I was pregnant with Dawson in 2019. We had moved here three years earlier and I can't believe it took us that long to meet, but we were both in this space of needing, needing a new buddy. Yes, that is absolutely true. And I love that you remember that with such keen detail. But of course, being nauseous right before the meeting, (laughs) I'm glad you felt cared for. And I love being told that memory. Yeah, I was like, I got to tell somebody in case I either one pass out or two start puking on everybody at this meeting. I need someone to know what's happening (laughs) to hold down the fort. And from here on out, from here on out, it's been an adventure, hasn't it? We've gotten some really cool experiences Absolutely. Together. Yes. You were an answer for me, for sure, in our community with, with looking for somebody, having great friends afar we both had and wanting somebody to connect with here. And that just, I remember yearning for that. And then you oh, appeared needing a chair and some yes, tea. Yes, needing to not pass <laughs> out. Oh, my gosh. Well, so, Heather, Heather, you are a... I don't want to say serialpreneur because you're not. You're a very pa- you're a passionate, multi-passionate entrepreneur, and you're one of your gifts is just being so excited about what you are investing your life in. And so Heather has been an integral coach for 17 years, and the story that you have to get to this point is just beautiful and. It's one of the most powerful stories I've ever heard. And I cry and tell it to people all the time. Anytime I run into people, I'm like, you have to hear Heather's story. But Heather, this led you to working with individuals and couples to face how they are getting in their own ways and how to live a life of connection and belonging. And you have like truly built a foundation of your life around connection and belonging. As I mentioned earlier about ceremony, Heather also believes in the power of ceremony And she has been a ceremony efficient and certified life cycle celebrant for 14 years. And as I just mentioned, that's how we met was through the wedding association. So Heather, 
Will you tell the story of being on an airplane, which I feel like is everybody's dream. Everybody dreams of something happening at an airport, whether it's meeting your partner or like having a life-changing moment at an airport. And you actually did have a life-changing moment on an airplane after a really traumatic, life-changing experience. So feel free to pick up in the middle at the beginning, wherever you want to pick up, but get ready guys, because... Everybody wants that like seatbelts. Everybody wants that hallmark moment on an airplane or at an airport. Yes. Well, to get my attention, I don't think anything less spectacular. I would have actually stopped and noticed what was happening. But I'll back up a little bit to that traumatic event that you were talking about. I got married pretty young. He was a wily Australian. That accent got me. We got married, and um, long story short, we moved to the mountains of Colorado where I live now, and this is a place I had fallen in love with when I was 16 and wanted to move here. So for all intents and purposes, I was living my dream life, living in a cabin on a beautiful ranch with gorgeous views every day, good friends, great community, and we found out we were pregnant. And during that time, we both, I I mentioned that we were young, this is mid-20s, and I think something started stirring in our universe that we needed to grow in different ways than we were growing. And so when I found out I was pregnant, I decided, okay, I don't feel connected to my intuition. And what is a mother without intuition? So I decided, okay, I'm going to work on building my intuition. I got excited, was on the spiritual journey, really working to come back to that in myself. And in that process, I opened a whole (laughs) new like a portal into incredible growth that came from some very scary circumstances. And I didn't realize I was about to head out into a grand adventure. But during my pregnancy, later in the pregnancy, I found out my husband was having an affair and his life was shifting. He was freaking out about becoming a dad and we've since healed a lot of that. But in the process, we did decide to stay together for our son who then was born still full term. And so when my when the doctors told me and when he was born and wasn't breathing and I held my little boy, I had this sense that the whole world was blowing open. That my life was going to take me in a very different direction than I had pictured folding lots of little onesies and caring for this little guy and his soccer team, you know, in town and I had all these visions of what it would be to raise a child here in the mountains and all of our adventures. And suddenly that was not in my realm of reality. And I had a sense that intuition I had been developing, which also told me about this affair, that intuition had indeed developed during that time. And it came really clear to me that I could stay and heal in the mountains and stay with my husband, but I didn't think that he was done growing and exploring himself And I had left college for this to move to Colorado with him. And I wanted to go back and finish college. So three weeks later in my maternity overalls, I was on one plane. This isn't the plane we'll talk about, but on a plane to go back to school. And 10 years after I started college, I finished it, traveled to the Himalaya. I traveled to other countries. I was on that grand adventure that I never thought that I asked for. I didn't overtly ask for it. But something in me was really growing um, tremendously. I went on an Outward Bound course for 81 days, backpacking, rock climbing, rafting. 
being out in nature, which I love so much. And then I got to this point where, and I worked on Mount Rainier. I didn't mention that, but that was a big part of that. I worked on Mount Rainier for five months, climbing up and down this mountain. Again, fitting a lot into a small space. Then all of a sudden, I'm coming out of this time with the outward bound, and I'm thinking, what in the world am I supposed to do with my life? I don't know what my life is supposed to be for. And I was on a plane, and this person who I'd never met was sitting next to me, and we struck up a conversation. And at the end, the person said, are you a life coach? And I laughed because I thought he was making a joke. (laughs) And he said, no, you know, a life coach, somebody who helps people work through life. I said, a therapist? He goes, no, it's not a therapist. It's somebody who helps people set goals. And he goes, I feel like I've learned more and told you more than I've told anybody in my life. And this guy was in his 60s. And it was a short flight. And I was like, oh, well, I'm so honored. I feel, thank you for trusting me. And then I laughed and went on my way. And then on the next flight, the exact same thing happened with a woman in, in her middle of life time period, same thing. Are you a life coach? And I said, you know, I'd never heard that term until the last flight that I was just on. Tell me more about that. And she said, you know, like Oprah on Oprah, there's this life coach. Her name's Martha Beck. And I'd never heard of her. And I wasn't watching a lot of TV at that time. I was, you know, jetting around the world and out in the back country. And so I thought, well, that's interesting. And then on the third flight, the same exact thing happened with a younger person who asked me the same thing. Are you a life coach? And I was like, this is the funniest thing. Like, I have never heard of this term, but I thought, well, I should probably look it up. I've been asking, what should I do with my life? And here I am getting asked three times, three back-to-back flights across the country. Are you a life coach? And so I looked it up and I didn't like a lot of what I saw. A lot of it just felt like um, forced positive thinking and if you think strong enough, you can overcome these things. And I thought, well, that's great, but it smacks of a little superficial growth to me. And if my life had taught me anything over the last two years, it was that growth happens at a very deep level and that there are ways we stand in our own way that can be hard to work through because it's our own vision. And so without something outside of us, it can be a little tricky. And I'd always been told I was a great listener and So I kept looking and I came across this school in in San Francisco called New Ventures West, and they do integral coaching. And from the get-go, and again, trying to keep this as short as possible, I realized that they were all about depth. They understood the power of purpose. They saw everybody as whole. And that was the thing that was missing from the life coaching I was looking at prior to that, was that it was like trying to fix people. And this was seeing people as whole and and being able to help them address the things that are standing in the way of them feeling their own wholeness. And these are things that we take on as we grow up and beliefs about personality. And so we studied the Enneagram and um, several other tools. And so uh, that's how I became an integral coach. And then ceremony comes a little bit after that, but... That's the story of the planes. Whenever we first <laughs> met, you were the first person I felt safe with asking, what the hell is a life coach? Like, what, what is an integral coach? And why are you not a therapist? Because I had met a few other life coaches and integral, not integral coaches, but yeah, life, life coaches. And I was really turned off by, I don't know if it was that just our energies didn't match up or if it was what I saw they were marketing to. 
And I just remember being like, why? I don't, I can't. So you were the first person I felt safe with asking, what is this? Give me a clear cut definition. And how you, <laughs> how you explained it was so powerful for me. You said, a therapist is somebody who helps you work through your past, through traumas, through things you've already gone through and blind spots you have because of those. And an integral life coach helps you moving forward. So you you even said like, you might have traumas that I'm not going, I'm not going to touch that. That's for somebody else to help you work through. But from this point forward is when a coach comes in. Would you mind touching more on that? Because to me, I know there's people listening going, I still don't understand what this is. So maybe, I mean, that, that just totally gave me like clear, defined roles for each person in my life if I chose to have both a therapist and a, a life coach. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And it's a distinction I have to make regularly because the work that I do can feel very therapeutic, but I am not a therapist. And a therapist is trained in helping you handle things that no matter what you do, like nothing's changing. And that's because of this baggage you're kind of carrying with you, you know, beliefs of childhood trauma and ways that we were acculturated or things that seem to have happened in the past, whether you work through that with a therapist or spiritual practice. I know people who've had tremendous healing through their spiritual paths and the work that we do often that kind of healing comes out of it. But when we keep running into something where those tools of integral coaching are just not working, that usually is a sign that this is something that needs a different kind of support. And that's usually therapy for most people or a deep spiritual practice. And so I work in conjunction with therapists, uh, religious practitioners, different people, you know, who are doing that kind of support to help release old beliefs. Now, there's a lot of releasing of old beliefs in coaching. But it can just be, you know, the belief of scarcity or not enough of, of, you know, these different things that the inner critic, those things that so many of us can relate to because we have that. But sometimes in a person's experience, things have happened in a way that they are embedded and um, that needs a different kind of support. And so I love connecting people with other helpers in that regard and have gotten to see and witness a lot of incredible growth and healing and transformation. Again, the work I do is very therapeutic. So often people will be like, oh, that just, I feel so much better. And it's, it's self-led. Like that kind of work is the client is doing that work. I'm just holding the space, asking the questions and bearing witness um, and together we watch that transformation occur, which is really special. That's awesome. You were the first person to ever introduce me to the Enneagram. And I would, I would love to touch on this because it is such a big piece of, of what you do. And I, I'm actually, this is my first week of launch to livelihood with my new group of students. And this is the week that they take the Enneagram Yay. test. And luckily I think most of them have taken it, but we get to look at it through a very different lens of its role in your business and you know, blind spots that we might have going into business. And I know with my own, with my own business, I wish that I had known about the Enneagram much earlier on. It would have been a lot easier for me to set boundaries up if I knew, oh, this is me just trying to like, oh, I have a funny Enneagram two story. Have I ever told you this story? I've got to tell you. So I'm, I'm in a diehard Enneagram two, and I'm starting to see pieces of my I don't, we can talk more about this as well, but I don't believe that there's integration and disintegration. I think you take 
really great pieces from each one of those sides. So like my eight integration, like she's starting to show up full fierce and it's a really beautiful protecting, like protective side of myself that I've never seen. And then my four also shows up. So anyway, we're getting into too much, but this is back when I was a very unhealthy Enneagram too. And I was living my life to prove my worth through how much I could help people, especially on really char, like emotionally charged, high stakes wedding days. So Mike and I are at this wedding and uh, I've, I've never talked about this in public ever, but the bride was kind of freaking out and she was like, there's so much that needs to be done. And she said, can someone steam my veil? And I was like, I can steam your veil. Well, the steamer was busy. I had a migraine, so I was not thinking clearly. And I grabbed the iron and turned it on to steam mode thinking that'll work. I'll just steam. I burned a freaking hole through the bride's veil in seconds flat. I mean, before that iron even touched it, it was like, it was just like gasoline getting lit up. And I think I threw up in my mouth a little bit. I already had a migraine. And so my head was just throbbing. And it was at that point, I like ran and grabbed Mike. He thought I was joking. And I like held up the veil and there's this huge hole in it. And Mike was like, you have to stop helping. You are here to do a job as a photographer. And I was like, I, I know, but the ceremony's running late and there they're going to be late. She just needed this <laughs> veil. And he was like, stop it. Stop it. You're here to be a photographer and to hold space as a photographer. Stop trying to help. And that, and that was like my first oh, I don't have to do that to prove to people that I am worthy of like being loved. So anyway, that's like probably my most embarrassing Enneagram 2 story I have to share. But you were the first person. Oh, it was, it was awful. It was awful. I still have not lived that down. And that was a week before our own wedding. So we, I, like, we were already like arguing on our way to the wedding. And then like I was sick and then that happened. I was like, this is the worst day ever. But you were the first person to ever introduce the Enneagram to me. And it was at a point in my life where I was very unwell mentally, just trying like externally trying to find that purpose and validation. And so, I mean, timing's everything, right? Whenever you brought it up, I was like, oh yeah, like Myers-Briggs, but the Enneagram is so spiritual. It's nothing like Myers-Briggs. There's such a, a spiritual, deep, rich history to it. And when I took the test, I, I was immediately sobbing. Like I had to go for a two hour walk just to process what I had read, mm. all the good and bad parts. And then a few months later, Mike finally took the test and it's changed our marriage tremendously. But I would love for you to talk about what role and what piece the Enneagram plays into it and why specifically. Yeah, no, that's great. And the story of how Enneagram came into my life, I said it was a tool for the integral coaching course, but I signed up for this course and I flew all the way out. I was staying with family in Ohio at that time. And I flew all the way to California. I'm starting this life coach journey. We'll see what this is about. And I walk in and there's this book, this huge book called the wisdom of the Enneagram. And it said something about the nine personality types that I turned around and I walked into the office and I said, I think there's been a misunderstanding. I don't believe in personality typing. And I, can I get my money back? No way. <laughs> and the lady looked at me and she goes, well, at this point, we can't give you a refund. But why don't you just see, like, I think it's going to be different than what you're picturing. And I mean, again, I'd already paid a lot of money for this. So I was like, well, okay, I may as well just stay and find out. And again, the same thing is what drew me to this school for coaching. The Enneagram started with wholeness. 
that we are we are not a type and that's who we are which is what Myers-Briggs and any other personality type, I'm a this, I'm a that. And we like the human desire to compartmentalize ourselves to make sense of the world, which there's all sorts of reasons why supposedly that happens. But it's like this fascination we have. And I watch people do this with the Enneagram all the time too, by the way. Like now it's become so trendy that people are, they're typing themselves through Instagram posts and oh, well, I'm just a this the same way they would do with uh, Myers-Briggs or any other personality typing. And so there's definitely, there's a lot of that happening. When I found out about Enneagram, hardly anybody had heard of this. So, so we got to deep dive into it a lot more. And um, so there's a lot of misunderstanding around that. And I just want to put that out there so that people don't make a decision based off of what they see superficially. What I have found is that Enneagram is a tool that gives us, it shows us the lenses we're looking through at the world and that we've been looking through for a long time. So you can have three of the same siblings in the same family experience, the same family situations in history and have totally different interpretations. And you're like, how did those people come out of the same family? And this is, this is why, because they had different sets of lenses. They were looking at the same things through. So if you have one color and another person has a different color, it's going to totally change the world you're looking at. That doesn't mean the world is yellow. Doesn't mean the world is rosy, right? Doesn't mean the world is gray. (laughs) It's just the lenses that you have on. And so Enneagram is sort of, it shows us a script that we've been playing according to, and it's kind of our knee-jerk reactions and you know um, the places that we go to, you, you know, the two as a helper, like there's, there's, the dark side of that is that they're helping because that's the only place to find worth. And so I ha- I need you to need me to help you so I have worth. And that's the danger, right? So people love twos because they want to do so much for you and they'll show up even when they don't want to. And, you know, but that's unhealthy too. That's not, that's not that sense of true giving where it's from that overflowing heart. It's my worth depends on you needing my help. So just as an example, and so you have gotten to see like that Bridalville, what a fantastic example oh of that. And your husband saying, you have got to stop <laughs> helping. You have got to do the very thing that is so antithetical to this script you've been carrying around as your point of worth. Like it's literally destroying something now. And that's what personality can do. And in the beginning, when you introduced me, that idea of, you know, facing how we get in our own way. Like this is one of the most freeing examples that I use with coaching clients because when they can see, like you had that emotional experience where you had to go take a two hour walk. When you can see something like that test doesn't know you from anybody else. They don't know Taylor Jones Fisher. Like they don't know you, but because personality is so unoriginal, there are millions of people living exactly the same way and you see it and it's taken outside of you. And there's this sense of relief and, and, oh my gosh, like I'm that transparent. Right. I'm that unoriginal. (laughs) And the truth is you are absolutely original, but you are not your personality. And that's why I love the Enneagram because you are not this set of beliefs that feels so real and so personal, but as soon as we see them outside of ourselves, it gives us a tool to very impersonally say, oh, look, isn't that funny how your script is getting in the way? Let's see what the wholeness of you knows about 
this situation, that relationship, this job opportunity. What does your wholeness say about that? And then to learn that, you can draw from the, the positive elements of all the other types because they point in that direction of wholeness. And so I love it as a spiritual growth tool. It just feels to me like it's the whole gig is up thing, you know, or the jig is up. I hear it a couple different ways, but that we've uncovered, we've taken the mask off of it and we've seen how we get in our own ways. And then it gives us tools of how to stop doing that. And um, yeah, I, I love the Enneagram as a tool. And I love how powerful it was in your life too. It was such a gift to get to witness that and be like, wow, this is really yeah. I didn't even through coaching, like you were just doing your own work and self-discovery and, you know, people can do that. There are ways to do that. Again, don't do it through Instagram. <laughs> don't do it through TikTok. a meme that says that you like the playlist power. It opened my eyes to so many things. Like Mike was able to hold me accountable, which was really cool. He would start asking me like, mm, are you being a two right now? And I'd be like, oh my gosh, I am. And I actually learned what the root, what the word altruistic meant after finding out about becoming mm. like being a helper. I was like, you can help without like needing to find yourself worth in it. Like I, so altruism became a really big, really special yeah. word that I wanted to focus on. My friends have learned how to love me better. Like I have friends, one of my best friends is an eight. I have a lot of seven best friends and eights. And my best friend who's an eight was like, Anytime I will not ask her for help, or I'm just like, listen, I'm just like, man, there's just a lot going on. She was like, I'm making you food and shut up. You do not get to argue with me about this. I'll drop it off at your and like, and you, you and Michael just offered to make us food a couple of weeks ago because we had a really hard December for really un, unexpected reasons. And you guys cooked for us. And for me, cooking is like a love language. So anybody who cooks for me and like leaves it on my doorstep is just like angels from on high. But it's really nice to know that my friends who do know that I'm a type two, they know how to love me better, how to tell me when I'm getting in my own way. And you had mentioned something earlier about siblings specifically who grow up with same parents, same household, same situations, and totally different experiences of, of that childhood. And there's six of us in my family. It goes two, <laughs> two, six, three, nine three, eight. And we're it, like, wow. none of us repeat. I'm the only two in my family, except for my sister's fiance. And there's only the, the only double is a three and one of them's a wing two and one of them's a wing four. And so it's so funny that even in the same household, and I, I, I would love to read like an Enneagram report on like birth order and how that could affect like, you know, just these lenses that we put on, or if we're born our certain type or whatever. But I, we like all took it at the same time and it was just so revealing. And my mom, I remember when, when my mom was reading her, her type and we were all dying laughing because she was like, I don't do that. Do I? And we're like, mom, are you serious? And so, yeah, you are textbook. And she was laughing, but, 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 but it has allowed me, like I'm flying home to help take care of my new niece and my three-year-old nephew. My sister's a six. And so I know where she is at mentally, postpartum, what she is stressed about. I will be vacuuming a lot because that's like her number one stressor in her life and causes her a lot of anxiety. <laughs> but it, 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 it allows me to love her a little more fully and a little more intentionally. And 
serve in a way that I know is going to be powerful for her and not self-serving. So I could talk about this all day. Right. She'll feel served. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And it is hilarious to me. I remember when you're like, I'm such a two. I was like, okay, well, let's look at this a little deeply because you're also the oldest of six children and you're acculturated as a woman. So maybe you're a two, but maybe you aren't. And then it turned out you were very much. Very much. much. <laughs> it was like, wow, that is like a triple whammy <laughs> of uh, being a two, but also taking that so seriously as the oldest. So you know, seriously. Caring, caring for your family and stepping in to kind of be a little mother, you know, from a very young age. And, and that's the thing is like, when you start to uncover those things, things that you had resentments about because your parents didn't do this or whatever, and you start to see like, wait a minute, like a big part of this is just how little me was interpreting things. And as I, as we bring peace to that, there's so much forgiveness for the people around us. Everybody's doing the best that they know how, given the resources that they have and the circumstance they're in, like the timing of that. And we all will grow as long as we don't shut down completely. You know, there are definitely ways we go to those unhealthy ends of each type and um, with addictions and, and controlling and abusive behavior and things like that. But that's always from that refusing to grow, refusing to step all the way into who we're meant to be and and embracing those things that like that's the thing everybody has some script that they're functioning by and so you realize like oh yeah there's no such thing as a perfect human I think spiritually we're all absolutely perfect and that true peace inside of us never goes away so that's the place that we get to work our way back to understanding and the Enneagram is a tool that really has has facilitated that for a lot of people I've worked with and for myself as well. Yeah. I remember my mom saying Taylor could run the house at four years old. Anytime a babysitter would come over, my mom would be like, Taylor, (laughs) Taylor knows where it is. Taylor knows how to do that. Taylor can do the dishes. Taylor knows where this is. Taylor can do it. And like, we have a four-year-old now. I can't imagine telling a babysitter like Dawson can make lunch. Dawson knows where the diapers are. Dawson can change the diaper. Like Dawson's got it. (laughs) But I was like, oh, this is no surprise whatsoever that this was like, I was like such a sense of pride being a four-year-old girl. Like I can change diapers. I don't even know. That was where your work was. Oh, so hard. So hard. Yeah. Yeah. And as a child, you need to feel safe in your, your environment. So to have that sense of purpose means, yeah, you know, it's job security. (laughs) I know how to change diapers and there's a lot of diapers. to Yeah, it is is job security. (laughs) I like how you say that. So Heather, you've been going through some pretty major growth milestones yourself, pretty like the, the, the last few years, how has that, like, I've been very grateful to get to witness these pieces of growth that you've been learning about yourself. How has it affected your work? in like the most beautiful way, because Mm -hmm. once we kind of come out of that tunnel of like suck, the tunnel of suck is what I'm going to call it. Yeah. (laughs) How has it changed how you're approaching your work? Because since you've been doing this for 17 years, obviously there's been like different points of growth and especially starting from Mm -hmm. the beginning that you started with, what would you say in the last four years, we'll say four years, just because it's a brand new year and it sounds Mm -hmm. good has been the biggest change in your business and your life and your approach to your work? 
Yeah. Well, the biggest like superficial change has been, I went from always having a full-time job and then using all my free time for my business to not having a full-time job and the financial security of that and doing my businesses full-time. And in a COVID you know, environment and the way the economy has done all sorts of things and just being a small business owner in a small town, there has been such a massive learning curve. So I've been an officiant and life celebrant for 14 years, and I've been this integral coach for 17 years. I've done so much with that. But to run a small business exclusively, that has been a huge, yeah, just growth curve for me. And I'm still in it. I'm still in the middle of that. You know, like we've seen with the wedding industry, like it was an odd year last year coming into this year. And so I thought my business was on this upward swing and then suddenly had these two very bizarre dips that really impacted things financially and, you know, got to bring up things that are my own script and things that I'm needing to work through. And, and um, that's really helped me to grow. So at that deeper level, it's helped me come into knowing what I want my businesses to be about. This year, I launched an online course that I'd been planning for like three and a half years and kept feeling like I'm never going to get there and launch this course. And I launched it in a time where like literally nobody's looking for an officiant. So the online course is teaching friends and family members how to officiate because so many vendors were coming to me saying like, I wish you could officiate all the weddings I do because of this thing and this horror story. And this other thing, I remember the funny story you told me about the college roommate or this guy, the groom's friend, and he gets up there. Oh, he and he was looks at the so cocky. He, goes, he was so cocky. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. We, we were at a wedding and yeah, we always like, we, we like trade horror stories in the wedding industry. And luckily we haven't had a horror story in a long time, but yeah, this guy, so cocky. Mike and I were talking to him about, you know, are you nervous to be in front of everybody? And like, you know, officiate this wedding. And he was, I don't know what he said, something really cocky back. And he gets up there, it's like 102 degrees that day. And he gets up there and looks at the couple and goes, you guys know what to do, right? And then just went white. This was their whole (laughs) ceremony. The DJ, I ran over to the DJ because Mike and I had worked with this DJ for like, like probably eight years at this point. We were like, um, can you go officiate this wedding? Like this guy's one going to pass out. I'm going to go get water in a chair. Hashtag Enneagram too. And Mike's just like trying to shoot whatever to make it not. Thank God we weren't shooting video because you can't like unhear that. But yeah, we were like, oh my gosh. So anyway, yeah. Horror stories. Yeah. Yeah. So after 14 years of doing this, like people kept saying, well, I wish you could do every wedding. I'd be like, oh, why? And then they'd tell me a story like this. Or just the, the more basic fact that so many of them were like, meh. You know, just like, oh, I mean, it was nice, but I started to connect the dots that people were doing more of giving a toast and then some vows and rings than they were officiating ceremony. And ceremony has a very clear rhythm to it that does not leave us where it finds us. So when people say getting married is just a piece of paper, I'm like, well, then you didn't have ceremony because that's not true. Anybody who has had one of my ceremonies says, I can't explain it, but something feels like it has changed. And I have people who lived together for 30 years and then decided to get married and they have that experience. So it's not just the amount of time you have together. It's literally ceremony changes us. It closes a chapter and opens a new one. And there's a way to do that, but you wouldn't know it if you you hadn't been taught that. And so my mission is to help people stop having 
meh ceremonies to kick off their wedding, their marriage. You know, this is the kick, the kickoff of their marriage. And to have a horror story is awful. But even to have something that just doesn't change anything means that they've they've been shorted. They've missed out on a way to really create a strong foundation for this relationship, their next chapter of their relationship. Well, let's be honest, like toasts are just a whole bunch of inside jokes. I mean, Mike and I cringe when we're at a wedding. Yes. And yeah, they've got their best friend from college or their, you know, their roommate from med school doing this this Mm -hmm. toast. I'm using air bunnies, this toast. And it's just a whole bunch of inside jokes. And we're like, nobody's enjoying this. There's another person up there and you are not that other person. But it's not their fault. They don't know what to do. They assume it's just a toast. Will you talk more, Heather, about you have on your website, you use um, the word chrysalis, like chrysalis for transformation. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a beautiful word, but also not just in the weddings, but ceremony period. Like, I mean, I've, I've even already like started prepping mm-hmm. ceremony with you. Like whenever we build our house and move into it, can you host a housewarming yes. ceremony? And Mike right. and I are about to have our 10 year wedding vow renewal ceremony because we're entering into the next chapter of marriage and it looks a lot different than we thought. But will you talk more about right. that chrysalis of transformation first, what that means to you? And then second, the second piece of that is what is ceremony if not for a wedding? What else do you do you yeah. love celebrating for life, death, like like you said, the whole yeah. life cycle? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And those two things are definitely not separate. That chrysalis of transformation, I think a big part of why I'm multi-passionate is because these things work so beautifully together. But in our culture, it's very hard to describe that in an elevator pitch. Um you know, I started with integral coaching. I was asked to officiate a friend's wedding and you, you know that story, but it just turned into a whole career I was never looking for. And then I noticed how powerful those things go together. Um, when I was studying the art of designing ceremony, my focus was on weddings, but the whole thing was learning about what creates ceremony. And when I looked back, I thought, oh my gosh, I've been doing this for most of my life. I've been trying to meaningfully mark milestones my whole life before I even knew the power of ceremony. And intuitively, I knew to have these things. Can I ask real quick, Heather, what's your earliest memory of ceremony? Because I'm just picturing you like five years old, like creating this ceremony with all (laughs) your stuffed animals. Like what was your what was your earliest memory of like this has to be special come hell or high water? Right. You know, I think it was more the awareness of an absence in my life. I didn't like parties for the sake of a party. I always felt like they were empty, like birthday parties and things like that. And then I had, I feel like it must have been in my late teens, early 20s, I can't remember exactly, somebody marked a milestone for me and just gave me something where I was like, wait, 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 wait that's what I've been looking for. You know, it's that feeling of like what had been missing all along. Like I was aware, I was always very intentional. Like I loved stones, which I still do. I collect heart rocks, you know, or smooth river stones. I love that. And, you know, I always loved connecting with nature and I loved learning. I think I was very attracted to learning about ceremonies and other cultures. My grandparents had the entire National Geographic 
you know, and I have memories of sitting and reading about all these cultures and ceremony was something you would find in so many National Geographics. Like if you look back through pictures in that or in encyclopedias, when a culture is described, often it's through their ceremonies, because that is a place where we can really distinguish one culture from another, even though that commonality is ceremony, is meaningfully marking milestones. And so like we had sweet 16 and bachelorette parties and things like that. And I always felt kind of icky after them and, and not because of anybody else, just like I felt like something was missing. And so then of course I, I started just marking things like for my mom or for a friend or whatever, you know, just doing that and doing something very meaningful. There was always something tactile as part of it. There was always a qualitative element to it, like everybody invited had to come and talk about the quality they loved most about this person. There was always food involved, that idea of breaking of bread together um, and gathering. So there were these elements. And then when I studied ceremony, I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) I have been doing this and connecting these things. And it's so simple. Like there's this part of us that knows it. Like we just, we know these things. And so people respond really beautifully. And that chrysalis of transformation is the idea that transition is the biggest place we can feel it. A lot of times and a lot of trauma that, you know, beliefs of trauma, PTSD and things like that are things that we don't finish something that has been started in a very dramatic way in our lives, whether that is an abuse or a a death loss, or it's going to war, you know, we don't have something that integrates us before we re-enter into society. And there's a lot around this, you hear about the heroic journey, you hear about all these different pieces that have become part of the work that I do, because it just feels like such a loving and compassionate way to help people move from one part of life to another part of life. That chrysalis of transformation, I remember being in a really hard place. It was right before I started studying integral coaching. I was the, what am I supposed to do with my life thing? I had lost my son. I'd lost my home. I'd lost everything that, you know, I had felt my life was supposed to be about. And I'd been doing this traveling, but I knew I couldn't do that forever. But there had to be this sense of homecoming of everything. I'd gone off on this adventure to learn. I needed to integrate it and bring it into a new chapter of life. And I was at a friend's house. He and his wife had invited me to stay for like eight days. This was in Connecticut. It was really close to the ocean and and it was gray. It was January, I think. And I would go out and walk these stone beaches. And I was just really seeking something in myself. And one day I was sitting on the bed in my, my bedroom and I read this book. And it had a little annotated thing about, you know, the caterpillar, the cocoon, the butterfly, And I'd always loved that metaphor, but in this note, it said that when a caterpillar, like I'd always pictured that the caterpillar was still somehow in the cocoon and it was sprouting wings, I guess, you know, I didn't really know the etymology behind it, but just that sense of it was still a caterpillar somehow. And then I found out that that was not the case at all, that, that the cocoon, that chrysalis becomes a place that holds liquid that the, the caterpillar completely loses its form and becomes what this author called transformative soup, where all the makings of the butterfly are in there. But so are all the makings of the caterpillar that has just dissolved. 
And this new thing that comes out of there is a completely transformed. It has changed form. So transformation is like the makings of the butterfly was always in the caterpillar. That potential was always there, just like it is in all of us. But that chrysalis of transformation, that's the scariest place because that's where we lose all sense of what we thought like up was and down was and well, I'm this. Well, wait a minute, maybe I'm not, but what do I want and what's in my way? And that is a scary place. It's like being transformative soup. And I think it's the richest place to be. It gets me so excited, as you can tell, to be with someone or with a couple, because I've gotten into a lot of couples coaching over the last few years, where you can see that place of it's almost like a you just want to give up space, but it's the richness that's just about to come through. And it's that really sacred space. So that chrysalis of transformation is important and ceremony helps us move from the caterpillar into that space and then into the next form, into our next chapter. And so that's why ceremony is so important to me. And you can do it for so many things. I prefer bridal blessings or couple blessings over bachelorette or bachelor parties because people can really uh, share why they think you're ready and mature enough to get married. What, what you've done so far that has shown them you have the grit and the courage and the love and the passion to step into this new chapter. You know, I've done ceremonies for baby welcomings, parent blessings, motherhood blessings. I've done milestone birthdays for 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds, 70-year-olds. I've done womanhood blessings for young girls who are, you know, they start their period. And so we do a celebration of that. So it's not so scary and icky and like shameful, which our culture has really made it that way. And you don't focus on, on that element of the body changing. You focus on what they're coming into and, you know, spiritually and um, again, qualitatively, like those qualities. I helped a family that was very dear to me when their oldest daughter made some choices that meant she couldn't go to school in any school in their state anymore. And she had to go away to school and she was returning home. And the family had been so harmonious without her there that they really were excited she was coming home, but were worried because it had been really fraught um, in the household before. So we did a whole sort of reintegration ceremony for their family. That's probably one of the most moving ceremonies I've ever done. And ceremonies around grief loss, those are always super powerful. Uh, I've done celebrations of life. Um, Yeah, so anyways, (laughs) that's just a a few examples. But anything that's a meaningful milestone, retirement, divorce, we've actually had ceremonies around divorce that, that a change is occurring and it comes with all sorts of layers as well. And so again, a chapter ending and a chapter beginning. I love that. And I love that, like, I I got my mom a retirement session with you because I was like, I know she's, she's talking a big game right now about how excited she is to never have to work again. But my mom like loved her work. And so that was, I was like, maybe (laughs) talk to Heather before you jump in the deep end, move into a different state. Yeah. And so both of those things can be true. I think that's the thing about transition. We can be so excited for what is coming, but also it's the unknown. You know, we know what we know and maybe we want something to change, but there's still that and we carry all that with us unless we honor it and give it a space and close it and open into the next 
that potential for carrying it with us can be there. And so, you know, when you go through your whole life not having any sort of meaningful markings of this, you can be carrying a lot of unnecessary weight that that just needs that sense of honoring and closure and being placed and, you know, planted in a certain place and then you can move into the next part of your life. I had never heard the story of the caterpillar. I thought the same thing. I thought it just like hung out in there until some wings popped out. I didn't realize it was such like a dramatic mm-hmm. change. It completely liquefies. Yeah, that's <laughs> wild. And I, I think back to points in my life where I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, I definitely felt like a puddle of tears and mud at that point in my life, right before, yes. you know, things really changed. I think back to the chapter from, I have my very first episode that I ever recorded for this podcast was the summer that I was homeless. That was probably the lowest part of my life. I had, it was a big transformation moving out to Colorado by myself at 20 something, 22, 23. And it was right before like everything changed. And I was a puddle inside of a tent that I borrowed from some hippie who was living in his Jeep and he didn't need the tent. So it was just, yeah, there are points in my life where I can pinpoint like, Mm, there was that cocoon. There was that puddle of of yes. nothing left. Right. But you think about that and you think like, I mean, imagine like this, this author called it transformative soup. Like it's not nothing. And I think that's the thing that it feels like because it's so terrifying and you feel like you're without form. And I thought I knew who I was and now I feel like I don't know who I am. And you know, all like empty nesters. I love working with empty nesters because of that. I love working with people who've retired, who had a, an illustrious career or a less than illustrious career and just were wanting to get out of there, but did this for so long. They don't know who they are without it, you know, because there is that element of dissolution that we are dissolving a former sense of who we were. And that doesn't mean that we are dissolving. It's just a sense of who we were. And so I love sharing that. A friend of mine who is this amazing motivational speaker, he's leadership coach. Like he was with the men's, the U.S. men's soccer team at the last World Cup and on their training staff and just this amazing guy. And he talks about this. He calls it the goo. And he says so much of like the challenge of adversity is actually learning to hang in the goo. Once we can identify that we are in it, when you realize it is not nothing, it is the greatest potential there is because it's that soup out of which that butterfly is going to be created. Is there hardly anything more miraculous and beautiful and wonderful and inspiring than a butterfly? All of that potential is in that nasty, like sticky stuff. Like that is the butterfly. Like that's what's so amazing to me. And so he calls hanging in the goo, like that learning how to hang in the goo. And that's basically, if you had an elevator pitch for what I do is I hang in the goo with people and I help them learn about the richness of that. Not this, like, let's get you to this, the end of this, let's get you to the butterfly. You know, another thing about butterflies is that I don't know if you've ever seen this, but when they're trying to come out of the cocoon, they're really struggling. They struggle hardcore. And so the temptation is to help peel back that cocoon for them. But the thing is, is that if you do that, they will die. If you try to alleviate the suffering of them emerging from that cocoon, they'll die because they're strengthening their ability to hold the weight of their wings by struggling out of the cocoon. And so learning how to be with each other in our hard times, especially as a two, 
learning how to be with people and not remove the adversity, but be with them in that space. That's what interval coaching is. You know, that to me is why so much of the life coaching that you see popping up, I'm like, okay, well, I, I get it's like a a great desire to help people, but so often they're helping through their own lens of stuff that has not actually been worked through. And so integral coaching, what I love about it is it's like really working through your own stuff so you can be with hardship, you can be with struggle. And you know how to bring comfort without depriving people of the strengthening growth that's happening through their adversity. So, yeah, another thing about butterflies. I love that. And I mean, (laughs) parenting is like a perpetual battleground for teaching people how to work through their stuff and just sit with the suck. It's like every every four or five minutes I get an opportunity to sit with somebody going through something really hard and just let them go through it. (laughs) It's so hard to be in a four-year-old I know. body. It's so hard I to be know. in a five-year-old body. It's so hard. Yes. Yeah. And just bringing that sense of love and compassion with also that sense of foresight and then a sense of humor, you know, maybe not to them in that moment, but with actually, ourselves. Just, we're no different. I mean, it's, you know, it's just, it's hard to be in a 47-year-old body. It's hard to be in, you know, and, and just learning to human together while we're keeping our sights set in that spiritual goal, that spiritual growth, that it's all for something. And so, yeah, meaning making is really important to me, which is why ceremony is so powerful. I I don't think I told you this. I don't know why I would have, but your friend who worked with the uh, men's soccer team, I just envisioned Ted Lasso, like a perpetual ball of like positive energy and a really good mustache. Who's just like, (laughs) really got really solid yeah. stuff to say all the time. Yes. Yes. And often through that sense of humble humor. And, and I think that's why it works for so many, you know, but yeah, Ted Lasso, man, talk about a great show for demonstrating that sense of learning how to be with hardship. Like Ted has to learn how to be with that in himself and with others. And that's part of that beautiful story. We could get into a whole conversation about what Enneagram type you think Ted is, yeah. but we won't go into that now. Heather, you have a tagline slogan that you have carried with you through every phase of your life and growth. Will you will you talk about that? About that that I don't know what you call it, a motto, a slogan, a tagline, a an asterisk. Yeah. I don't know what you call it, but will you talk about it? Yeah, I mean, you can call it a motto. That's such an easy word. Sometimes people call it a mantra. I let people call it what they want. This this is just the message that I carry. And it came to me on Mount Rainier through some hard times. It kind of all came together on Mount Rainier from all that hard stuff that had happened before. Um, And I know your podcast, like a big part of that is talking about enoughness. Yes. That sense of when was the last time you didn't feel like enough. And before I jump into my message, I want to share just a little bit about that because this ties directly to it. This message, which a friend of mine, Jamie, Jamie Bilsbach, she, she always says, Heather has, she, she has this, she does this enough thing, like you're good enough. And that's what she calls this message. And the words good enough are nowhere in there, which is I love Jamie though. But can't, can't be mad at Jamie. I do too. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And why would you? Because that basically is what it is. Like I was thinking about the last time I didn't feel like enough. I'm like, well, I feel like not enough all the time because the truth is we're not. When you're at the bottom of the staircase, you're not 
enough to be at the top of the staircase or at the bottom. Take one step. That's it. It's not a big deal. There's so much weight around. I just don't feel good enough. I don't feel smart enough. And I'm like, well, we're just distracting ourselves with needing to feel good enough. Let's let go of needing that. Like, it's not, you're enough for this moment because look, this is where you are. So you're enough for it because here you are. And so when we get pulled out of the present, and that came from dear friends and mentors of mine, Jim and June Spencer, who I used to really struggle with that question of good enough and um, not feeling good enough and never going to be good enough for the things that I felt like my life was supposed to be about. And my friend June, she's so delightful. She goes, isn't that wonderful? You're not enough to be that thing that's in the future because here you are enough to be here yourself right now. And that's when they gave me the staircase analogy of just think about it. When you're at the bottom of the stairs, are you good enough to be at the top? Well, not yet, because you're at the bottom. So just take one step. <laughs> and so that that's my very short version of that sense of being enough. And one of the things when I'm feeling pulled out of the enoughness of the present moment is this message that I love, whether I'm afraid, whether I'm worried, whether somebody else is but who is with me and I'm wondering how to help them. And this idea comes from three little statements. I belong here. I am ready. I am not alone. I belong here. I am ready. I'm not alone. No good enough in there. But because of this, we are always good enough for what is ours to do. And so I like to talk about how I belong here because this is where I am. This is absolutely where I belong because I'm in this moment. If that means I'm in a challenging situation that's not safe to stay there, belonging there in that exact moment is going to connect me to the present intuition and information I need to move into a new place. So even in that, like, I don't belong in this family. I don't belong in this relationship. I don't belong in this job. Like whatever those things are coming back to that moment of I belong here because this is right where I am, which means that my growth is going to happen in this moment. And if I can get to this moment of enoughness right here, right where I sit, then that sense of what comes next, that first step in the staircase usually becomes apparent instead of thinking about like, how do I get to the top? How can I leap that far? I can't jump that high. Like how that's a distraction. I'm good enough to be on this step and I can take the next one. The I am ready is, is, Owning that we have everything we need in this moment to meet the responsibilities that are actually ours. And this one's a really powerful one for most people, I would say, but I work a lot with women and that sense of I'm not ready to take that step or take that leap or do that job or be a mom or be a good mom. (laughs) I'm not ready to get married. I'm not ready. These things of, well, what are what's actually mine to do? Because if we're worried about a bunch of things that aren't ours to do in this exact moment, I'm not good enough to change a diaper. Well, are you needing to change a diaper right now? Okay, no. Well, are you going to need to? Yes. Okay, well, then you're ready to learn how to change a diaper so that you'll be ready to change a diaper when it's time. (laughs) But we get so worked up in our heads that we're thinking about responsibilities that are not ours. I'm not smart enough to save the world. Well, guess what? You're not the only human working on that. So you're probably ready to do what is your step right now. And I'm not alone to me is the most powerful one, which is why it's the one I end with, because I think it's the one we need to remember the most. 
I truly believe that divine love, that's what I call God. I refer to it as love, that it is so present and so ready to meet our human needs right now at every step. And that that love is closer than our own breath, which means if we stop breathing, that love is still going to be there with us. And I do believe that we continue on growing beyond what our body appears to do. And so to me, that sense of I'm not alone is the idea that I'm never alone. That love, that force that breathes me into existence in every moment is right here and it's closer than my own breath and it is infinitely caring and loving. And usually that's where I'm going to find the answer beyond all the noise in my head. And so, like I said, I call that God, but for a lot of people who have a different experience of what God is, like if it's not loving to me, it's not God. So, and not loving in the terms of giving me what I want giving me what I actually need for my greatest spiritual growth, like that fierce love. It's not, it's not mamby-pamby, saccharine, sweet love. It's fierce love that heals and transforms us. And so I am not alone. And I'm not alone because I'm here with everybody else who is learning how to human the best we know how. And um, so, yeah, so I belong here. I am ready. I'm not alone is the message that I carry everywhere I go. Thanks for asking. Thanks for sharing it. I always love hearing about it. Every time I hear about it, I take something different away from it. And um, I would love, Heather, if you could share with people what you are working on right now. You mentioned the online course, but let's say somebody is just like, I need to work with this woman. What what (laughs) do you, you, you also mentioned working with couples, which I think is such a powerful space to hold for couples, whether they're going into marriage, they're already in marriage, they're contemplating divorce. I know you've worked with everybody across, across the spectrum with couples, but individual coaching, what does your process look like? How, how would people work with you if they wanted to? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. And for your listeners, if they reach out and they want to do any of that, I have a couple of different kinds of packages that you can do, whether that's a six week or it's much longer term. If they mention that they heard me on this this podcast, we'll give them a 10% off any, any package that they choose. And I always have a 30 minute um, free discovery call, no matter what. And that's, you know, you can ask questions. You can just even be like interested in understanding more about this, or you can actually be interested in doing this kind of work. And if you are interested, then uh, reach out for that discovery call. Same thing for couples or ceremony. If you have an idea for a way that you want to make a ceremony meaningful or a milestone in life, either for yourself or for someone else, same thing. 30-minute discovery call. We can talk about it. And people always leave with a lot of stuff in those 30 minutes, whether they work with me or not. But we'll say that we'll extend that to ceremonies too, 10% off ceremonies if they want to book a ceremony as well. But what it can look like working with me. So you mentioned couples coaching. That's the place that I'm growing the most right now besides launching this course and getting it out there into the world so people can learn how to officiate if a loved one or family member has asked them to officiate. I can make sure they do a beautiful job, much better than they're even imagining as possible and more than what their couple is even hoping for because weddings that we've been to so often aren't really that amazing. You know, a lot of people who officiate, that's only part of what they do, and they do it because it's a required part of what they do, not because they're passionate about it. So uh, what I teach helps people really connect with the meaning behind 
getting to stand at the altar with somebody. So that's an online course, instantly downloadable. I have a free masterclass in how to write ceremony. And I'm guessing we could probably put some links and show notes or whatever that people can get to these different things. So that's a way with learning how to do ceremony that you can work with me. For couples coaching, which I just mentioned, I'm really working on growing that part of my business. I found it to be such a powerful tool because just like not everybody needs to go to a therapist for everything that they're working on, couples can get some tools that can just shift the space that they're in to create more connection, to reconnect with each other. Things that don't have to do with the therapy approach to it, where it's all breakdown of communication or any challenging things that they need to work through more history stuff. The same thing with coaching for couples. You can come in and it's it tends to be a lot less threatening, especially to, to men. <laughs> you know, in my experience, they've been much more willing to work with a coach than a therapist. And then if they need therapy, I can compassionately and gently walk them into seeking that out and connecting them to good couples therapy. But I've worked, I do a lot of premarital coaching and I've worked with couples all the way up to a couple who is about to celebrate their 52nd year of marriage and weren't sure they wanted to stay together when they started meeting with me. And sometimes that looks with meeting with both of them on the couch. Sometimes that looks with starting with one of the individuals because you can work on your relationship by yourself to a certain level. So you can meet with me individual to start addressing your relationship. Often that ends up with me inviting the couple to come in together. Usually the partner who's not part of that coaching at first sees the change in the other person and is like, huh, get a little curious about what's going on in there. And so then they're more willing to come. And then extended beyond that, I end up working with both of the couple individually. And that has been really helpful. So we do that in sessions, usually 90 minutes. I can work with 60 minutes, but so much happens in that last 30 minutes. It's like we're just getting ready. And then 60 minutes cuts it off, then we lose that momentum. So most sessions are about 90 minutes. And um, people leave feeling heard. They leave feeling seen. They leave with ideas for how to take action. So this is not just talking about things. It's not a talk therapy situation. This is leaving with very actionable things to to experience change in your life. And when those little changes build up, all of a sudden transformation is apparent. So it's uh, it's not magic. It is the result of a lot of good work. And I use the tripod of growth and self discovery, which is We start with self-observations, noticing, getting real about what's actually happening, which the Enneagram helps us do, among other tools, and then practices. So to stop doing something that's not working, you can't just create a vacuum. You need to put something better and more loving and more healthy or healthier in place. And then reflection. And so reflecting on how those changes are happening. So that's just a little overview of that. I do have a YouTube channel that has some, I belong here, I'm ready, I'm not alone, meditations on it. I do need to update that. But if that's helpful to anybody, you can be guided through a a grounding reflection using that message. Well, Heather, thank you so much for spending time with us. This has been two years in the making that we've been trying to get this to happen. And the timing was just never right. (laughs) So when you asked me about it, I was like, finally, I didn't have anybody else lined up. So this is perfect timing. Perfect. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for well, your you vulnerability too. and sharing your story and what you do. And of course, we will put all the ways to connect with you in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much for tuning in today. 
Thank you. And thank you to everybody who's listening to Taylor's Awesome Podcast. You're in the right place.